Well, good morning. Happy New Year to you. You know, on Easter, we love to say he is risen, and then people respond with he is risen indeed. And so sometimes in our home, my son Jonathan will say happy new year indeed. And so, um, but I want to make a prediction this morning, um, maybe a prophecy even, that uh, today will be the best sermon you've heard in 2023 from this pulpit. (laughs) At the same time, it will be the worst sermon that you've heard in 2023. I hope that I have a short reign of that being the worst uh, until I'm here again, okay? If you would take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 26, we're going to look at, I would say, a heavy, a serious topic today as we look at Jesus in the garden. The sermon, my sermon title is Grief in Gethsemane, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus as he is contemplating, preparing for why he came to earth to go to the cross. So Matthew 26, and today we will be in verses 36 through 46. If you would follow along as I read. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, And began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping And said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. May God add blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word this day. Well, there are some great battles, military battles, on the sacred, sacred pages of Scripture. Uh, if you think about the battle between David and Goliath, where a young shepherd boy defeats a giant who is over nine feet tall with only a sling and a stone. The story in Judges of Gideon and his 300 men and their victory over the Midianites and the Amalekites, who were as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number. But they blew their trumpets and not one of Gideon's men were lost. The Battle of Jericho, where Joshua and his men marched around the city of Jericho seven times and the people shouted and the, and the priests blew their trumpets And the walls came tumbling down. But the greatest battle in all of scripture was fought and won in a garden. 
without swords, without spears, without slings and stones, by a man who got down on his knees and prostrated himself before the Lord and prayed, submitting his life to the will of the Father. And that man was the Lord Jesus Christ that we just read about together here in Matthew 26. In the verses that precede our text for today, we see a focus on the divinity of Christ. Jesus made five predictions related to his arrest, his death, and his resurrection. More than just predictions, but prophecies, all of which came true just as he said. He was able to do this because he had perfect knowledge. Jesus was omniscient. He was the Son of God. So today we're going to look at the humanity of Christ. And we are going to watch Jesus struggle in the garden as he battles with what is about to take place. So three displays of the humanity of Christ today. We'll see the incredible sorrow of Jesus. We will see the intense supplication of Jesus. And then finally, we will see the immaculate strength of Jesus. So the first display here of the humanity of Jesus is the incredible sorrow of Christ. The incredible sorrow of Christ. And we see this in verses 36 to 38. Let me read those again for us. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Most of you know this, but this historical event that takes place during the last week of Jesus on the earth can also be found in Mark chapter 14 and also in Luke chapter 20. You also know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. They're very similar to one another, yet they were independently written and are unique. Matthew presents Jesus as king, as the Messiah, the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. Mark sees Jesus as the servant who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And Luke sees Jesus as the son of man. Jesus has just instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Judas is now gone. He has gone to the chief priests and the elders with information on Jesus' whereabouts. So Jesus and the remaining 11 disciples come to a garden, and in verse 36, we see it is a place called Gethsemane. Literally, that word means oil press, and presumably meaning that there were olive trees growing there. My wife and I had the chance to go to Israel in March of 2020, and they are here on the Mount of Olives. John chapter 18, verse 1, locates this garden just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem, This was a familiar meeting place for Jesus and the twelve. In John chapter 18, verse 2, where we see the details of Jesus' arrest, we read that Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So 
Jesus again comes to this familiar place, to the Garden of Gethsemane, not to engage in some light conversation. He was not there to talk with his disciples about the departure of Judas and what he was doing, nor was he there to appoint a new treasurer now that Judas was gone. Jesus is not there with them as he had been before to teach them some deep theological truths. This is Christ's last night of freedom before his death. He is facing rejection by the Father and about to endure an agonizing death. And so in verse 36, he instructs his disciples to sit where they are while he goes away from them to pray. In verse 37, we see that he doesn't separate himself from all of his disciples, only from eight of them. And he takes with him Peter, James, and John. Matthew here refers to the latter two as the sons of Zebedee, and we know this to be James and John. This is the third time we see in Scripture that Jesus spends time with these three men. We, we see that in, in Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus takes them with him up to the mountain, and Elijah and, and Moses appear. In Luke chapter 8, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, those three disciples go in the room with him. And now we see Jesus with these three as he begins to pray. I think this too is an indication of his humanity. Jesus doesn't want to be alone. He wants his closest friends near to him as he contemplates and agonizes over what he is about to face. So look at verse 37. It says, he began to be grieved and distressed. The New King James would translate this sorrowful and deeply distressed. The first word here translated sorrowful comes from the Greek verb lupeo, and it means to be grieved, to be pained, to be distressed, to be sorrowful. The second word that is translated distressed here comes from the Greek verb adamoneo, meaning to be depressed or dejected, full of anguish or sorrow. Two similar verbs here, very closely related, and Matthew uses them both to show his readers what Christ was experiencing in the garden. Friends, the Son of God was grieved. The Messiah was distressed. The Savior of the world that we just sang about and celebrate was full of anguish and sorrow. And that is exactly what he tells his three friends here in verse 38. Look at that. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Uh, when The Passion of the Christ came out in the early 2000s, I, I wanted to see that movie and I've watched it many times since to remember the intense physical suffering that Jesus went through for our sins. But the agony and the grief that Jesus was experiencing late Thursday night of the Passion Week did not come from the dread of physical pain or from the prospect that he was about to be deserted by his closest friends or that the leader of the twelve, Peter, would soon deny him three times. Jesus Christ is about to become the sin of the world. He was about to be rejected and forsaken by his father. He was about to face the awful and terrible wrath 
of a holy God. And it was this that caused him deep anguish and sorrow. And in that sorrow, he calls out to the three, his closest companions, saying, remain here and keep watch with me. Jesus appeals to them to share with him in this difficult hour. Mark records Jesus saying, remain here and keep watch. Matthew records him saying, remain here and keep watch with me. Here, Jesus doesn't even ask them to pray. He simply wants them to stay awake as he goes to pray. Because Jesus was going to go and pray a prayer that only he could pray. So in verse 39, we see that he went a little beyond them. Jesus knew that he could be encouraged by the support of his closest followers being close in proximity to him. And so again, here we see the humanity of Christ over the sorrow, the sorrow over what lied ahead and the desire for companionship in his darkest hour. Jesus, the son of God, the child that was born, that grew into a man, experienced great sorrow. And some of you even now are experiencing some great sorrow, anguish, tribulation, even today. And you will in 2023. Jesus says, in this world, you have tribulation. I always wish he would have said, you might have. You know, there's a, there's a chance. No, he says, you have tribulation. So what are you going to do with your sorrow? What are you going to do with that grief, that disappointment? Well, what did Jesus do? Let's look at the second manifestation here of his humanity, and that is the intense supplication of Christ. The intense supplication of Christ. Look at verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus went a little beyond where Peter, James, and John were seated and began to pray. Luke tells us in his gospel, in Luke 22, verse 41, that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. Matthew tells us even more about his posture here in verse 39, where he says, he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed. This indicates prostration, the adoption of the lowliest position of all. Often, we we read often in the Gospels of, of Jesus going out to pray by himself, but this is the only time in the Gospels that we see Jesus doing this, literally falling on his face, prostrating himself before the Father. Yet, I believe another indication of the great grief and the overwhelming anguish that he was feeling. This is also the only time in in the Gospels, found right here in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus addresses God in prayer as my Father. Now he will do that. While teaching, he will say, my Father, but never in recorded prayer to the Father except what we see here. Even though Jesus knew that he would soon be forsaken by his Father, 
during this time of great sorrow and great anguish, he knew God the Father, his Father, would be near. And look at the next four words that follow here in verse 39. If it is possible. This little phrase precedes the substance of the prayer that Jesus will pray. And, he makes, and it makes it clear that Jesus was not pressing for anything that was against the will of the Father. Friends, it is so important as we look at this text and think about the life of Christ that Jesus was not wrestling with God's will, nor was he resisting God's will. As the perfect Lamb of God, the one who knew no sin, he was beginning to feel the awful burden of sin that would soon be placed upon his back, that he would bear in his body and take to a horrible and cruel cross. And his holy and perfect soul was repelled by it. Leon Morris, in his great commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, says, The question at issue was not whether Jesus should do the Father's will, but whether that necessarily included the way of the cross. The kind of death he faced was the kind of ordeal from which human desire naturally shrinks. Thus, we discern here the natural human desire to avoid it. But we discern also Jesus' firm determination that the Father's will be done. So he prays for the avoidance of the death he faced, but only if that accorded with the divine plan. Well said. He prays in verse 39, let this cup pass from me. But in the same sentence, he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Translation here is, Father, if there is any other way that you can redeem fallen humanity besides a cross, besides me becoming the sin of the world, besides me becoming forsaken, besides me facing the fierce and terrible wrath of a holy God, Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there is any other way, Father, I'll take it. If there is a plan B that we did not discuss before the foundation of the world, I'm interested. The death he was facing was a horrible death. It was a unique death. Yes, others had died by crucifixion, but no other person in human history had died facing the unrestrained wrath of a holy God. And so Jesus prayed, if it were possible, that it might be avoided. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. Why would he say cup? Well, in the Old Testament, a cup was the symbol of divine wrath against sin, and that's exactly the meaning here. Jesus was about to face the wrath of God for taking on our sins and bearing them in his body. But look at his final petition here in verse 39. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus rests here in the will of God. Leon Morris again says, Jesus is not seeking to impose his will on the Father, but to accept the will of the Father. Again, so well said. Jesus prayed three different times here, your will be done. Your will be done. A question is often brought up, should I pray in my prayer time, your will be done? 
Is that a practice for us today? For all of us who believe in Christ? Well, not according to Benny Hinn. Hopefully you don't know who he is or you don't read him or watch him. But Benny Hinn said, never, ever, ever go to the Lord and say, if it be thy will. Don't allow such faith-destroying words to be spoken from your mouth. When you pray, if it be your will, Lord, faith will be destroyed. Doubt will billow up and flood your being. Be on guard against words like this, which will rob you of your faith and drag you down in despair. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he said, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in his epistle on James 4, 13 to 15, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Friends, there is nothing weak about praying, if it be your will, if it is your will. This is how Jesus prayed. This is how Jesus commanded his disciples to pray. And this is how you and I are to pray. When we pray, thy will be done, Lord, your will be done, we are saying, Lord, I acknowledge your sovereignty in the world and I submit myself to it. When we pray, your will be done, we are also asking that God would give us a desire to do his will. Well, back to the prayer of Jesus, there was nothing weak about him praying, your will be done. Listen to what Luke tells us about his prayer in Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Back to our text, verse 40. Jesus gets up from the ground off of his face. He had heard the disciples snoring, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. Luke tells us that Jesus found them sleeping from sorrow. The same word we see translated sorrow in verse 37. There it is, lupe, it is found as a noun. They were distressed too. They have heard some very hard sayings from Jesus on this very day. Jesus had told them that one of his own would betray them, betray him on this very night. And he has said that it would have been good if this man had never been born. He institutes the Lord's Supper with them, but then tells them that he will not drink this cup with them again until the establishment of his kingdom. He tells them that they will all fall away from him this very night. He prophesies that they will all scatter. He again predicts his death and his resurrection. He tells Peter that before a rooster crows that Peter would deny him three times. And now the disciples think about this. They see Jesus like they've never seen him before. The grief was obvious. The anguish was unmistakable. The distress was unveiled for all of them to see. The disciples here were sleeping and we can give them a hard time. But 
They are not sleeping because they were lazy, not because they were being insensitive to the Savior, but because they too were overcome with sorrow. The great emotional strain was weighing heavily on the disciples as well. We can assume and infer that all three of the disciples were sleeping here. It seems clear from the grammar. Matthew tells us that Jesus found them sleeping. Yet Jesus only addresses Peter in verse 40. He said to Peter. So why does he address only Peter? Poor guy. James and John were sleeping too, right? Well, perhaps because of what Peter had said to him earlier. Look at verses 31 to 35, just above our text. Then Jesus said to him, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Peter says here, I will die with you, Lord. I will never fall away from you. I will never deny you, but I may fall asleep on you when you need me the most. He addressed Peter, but he spoke to all three men. The, the verb is plural here in the Greek. It's why the word men here is added when he says to them, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. And then in verse 41, he says, keep watching and praying. Two commands here, present imperatives, meaning that this is a continual action. So Jesus is saying to them, be praying, be watching. Why? Verse 41, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus understood this very well. Isaiah says in his prophecy of the Messiah to come, 700 years before Jesus come, he comes, he describes him in Isaiah 53.3 as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 2.18, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And as we see in the verses that precede our text, the faith of the disciples was insufficient. The disciples were failing and the flesh was prevailing. One more time from Leon Morris, he says, Just at the time when Jesus was showing the victory of spirit over flesh, the disciples were manifesting the victory of flesh over spirit. Jesus, knowing well the weakness of the flesh, returns to supplication. And the second time he goes before the Father, verse 42, he went away, he went again a second time and prayed. He continues in prayer. Previously, in verse 39, there were two petitions. Let this cup pass from me, and not my will, but your will be done. But now Jesus offers just one petition in verse 42 saying, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. 
I want you to see what is not seen here in the text. Did you get that? There is no reference here to the will of Christ. There is no mention of my will, Father. Here is Christ's recognition that the drinking of the cup is indeed the will of the Father. Jesus says, in essence, if there is no other way, if this is the only way to satisfy your divine wrath, if this is the only way to save sinners from eternal condemnation, your will be done. I love Hebrews 5.8. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Christ recognized through his overwhelming sorrow and in this sincere and persistent supplication that this was indeed the will of the Father. He sorrowed exceedingly. He suffered greatly. But in this suffering, Jesus came to a full comprehension and submission to the Father that this was the only way that God could redeem sinful humanity. Verse 43 He comes and finds them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever fallen asleep praying? I know I have. I mean, that's what happens when you try to pray while you're lying in bed, right? With a heated blanket or a weighted blanket on you. That's not going to go well, right? The disciples fell fell asleep praying here, and Matthew records no conversation here between Jesus and them. In Mark's gospel, we read, that he again came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know how to answer him. We are not sure what Jesus said to them at this point. We really do not know if he spoke to them at all. I wonder, did Jesus just look at them in sadness and in despair, causing them to remain silent? Well, Matthew does tell us what Jesus did did next. Verse 44 And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Jesus prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And of the three synoptic gospel writers, only Matthew tells us that Jesus prayed for a third time. He prayed what he had just prayed before. My father, if this is the only way, your will be done. Again, submitting his life to the will of the father. If there's one thing you could take with you today, it would be this. The disciples were sorrowful and they slept. Jesus was sorrowful and he prayed. Those of us that are here this morning who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, we are Christians. That's how we identify ourselves. We are little Christ. We are striving to be more like Christ. We are being conformed to the image of Jesus himself. But too often when we face trials and difficulties, when we are overcome with anguish and grief, when we are experiencing sorrow and loss, we look more like the disciples than we look like Christ. So in examining the humanity of the second person of the Trinity, we see, first of all, the sorrow of Christ. Secondly, we see the supplication of Christ. Thirdly, we see the immaculate strength of Christ. Look at verses 45 and 46. 
Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus prayed that there might be another way apart from the cross, but the Father remained silent, and so Jesus willingly received the assignment from the Father. Jesus knew this day would come. He had come to earth for this very moment to lay down his life as a sacrifice that we might be forgiven and live forever. Amen. Remember what Matthew told us about Jesus in Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Remember the words of Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. In John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus says, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. Jesus came to earth. We just celebrated his birth a week ago, Christmas Day. But we understand that Jesus was born to die that we might live. And so Jesus manifested great strength as the multitude came to arrest him. I don't believe this is supernatural strength. It's not miraculous strength. It is human strength. However, it was human strength like no other human has ever possessed because it was a human strength that was unstained by sin. And that's why I refer to it as perfect, immaculate strength. Jesus says in verse 45, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus did not say, Run for your lives. Retreat to the upper room. Off with their heads. Peter was on his own on that one. Instead, he said, get up, verse 46. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. This was not a call to run away. It was a call to obedience to the Father. Jesus had fought the battle. And he spent the time of waiting for the moment ordained before the foundation of the world to take place by spending it in supplication and fervent prayer. And now the predetermined plans of a holy and sovereign God would begin to take their course. Peter did not understand this at the time. John tells us in his gospel that it was Peter who drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. I just think it's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not identify the disciple who did this, but John did. It is also John who will later tell us that after Jesus raised from the dead and the tomb was empty, that John outran Peter to the tomb. John is my favorite disciple. I love that man. Peter did not understand what was happening in real time, but later at Pentecost, Peter would understand, and he said in Acts 2, and 23, Jesus the Nazarene, as he preached, saying this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. 
Jesus did not fight. The only fight he fought had already taken place on on his knees and on his face. He recognized that this was the only way, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He won the battle over temptation, and now he would go to the cross. I want to look a little closer at his strength. Look at verses 50 to 53. And Jesus said to him, to Judas, friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus here reveals that he had at his disposal 12 legions of angels, and a Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus tells his friends here, all I have to do is ask, and I will have 72,000 angels at my side in an instant. In 1958, Ray Overholt wrote the song, 10,000 Angels. The chorus goes like this. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. I've often wondered why he didn't call his song 72,000 angels. But when you try to sing that, it just doesn't flow as well as 10,000 angels. Christ could have done it with 10,000 anyway, right? But this was not God's plan. Verse 54 says, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? Jesus showed great strength. He even showed compassion in being arrested by healing Malchus, by restoring his ear. I've often wondered, what happened to Malchus after that? How do you not tell that story? How has your life not changed? Jesus showed great strength when he allowed himself to be taken so that he could fulfill the predetermined plan of God. The strength of Christ, it appeared like weakness to the world, but we know it was great strength. He could have called 72,000 angels. He would have eluded the mocking, the beating, and the scourging. He would have escaped the terrible wrath of the Father, and he would have saved his own life. But our lives would have been lost. For eternity. Praise God today for his obedience. Jesus Christ experienced great grief and exceeding sorrow so much that when Isaiah prophesied about him, he calls him man of sorrows. But he took that sorrow and that sorrow turned into supplication. Jesus prayed to the Father over and over, repeating the same thing. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And that supplication led to strength. There was no other way for God to redeem fallen sinners. The only way was for Christ to suffer and to die on a cruel cross. And when this was accepted and embraced by the Son of God, Christ was strengthened. And he went to the cross willingly, laying down his life for you and for me. Do you see the pattern here? Sorrow, supplication, strength. 
What an example for us to follow as we strive to be more like Christ in 2023. May our sorrows lead us to supplication. And may that supplication, that time and prayer to the Father, lead to great strength. Where we rely on the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. That enables us to do hard things. And to be able to endure and persevere in the midst of trials and tribulations. Well, there once was a preacher who lived many years ago. Who faced numerous trials during his ministry. He loved and served the Lord Jesus with all of his heart. But once while ministering in Asia, he said, We do not want you to be unaware of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. He wrote about how he was tormented by a messenger of Satan himself. And like Jesus before him, he pleaded with the Lord three times. That God would take it away from him. But like the father did with the son. He did not grant him this request. But the Lord did speak to this preacher of God's word. And he said to the apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And this caused Paul to say and to write. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Beloved, this is where the battle was won. And after this major victory, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested He carried his own cross to Golgotha. He voluntarily laid down his life for our sins. He allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed that we might be forgiven and have everlasting life. Hallelujah. What a savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we would love to just celebrate Christmas every day and just think of The pageantry of the baby in the manger and the shepherds and the wise men making that journey and the joy that Mary and Joseph must have had bringing the Savior into the world. We would love to think about him as a 12-year-old boy in the temple and and, uh, astonishing those teachers with his questions. Lord, we would love to imagine what his life must have been like growing up, never sinning never doing anything wrong, and and just staying there, Lord. But we know that Jesus was born to die, that we might live. Lord, he lived a perfect life in our place. He died an atoning death in our place, that we might have the forgiveness of sin and have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for the perfect obedience of Jesus, that he willingly submitted his life to the will of the Father, that he voluntarily went to the cross. He spread out his arms, knowing that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Thank you for the example he is to us in the garden as he goes from great sorrow and exceeding anguish, but takes those things to the Lord in prayer and supplication. And Lord, after spending that time in prayer and being strengthened by the Father, he arose 
and had great strength to go and do what he was called to do. Lord, as we enter a new year, we know it will be a year full of challenges, trials, persecutions perhaps, disappointments, a time of sorrow and anguish. Lord, may we be like Christ and take our sorrow and lead, may that lead us to supplication, to prayer, calling out to you. Lord, you, you tell us to not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving to present our request to you. You call us to come. And you are a good, good father who loves your children. And you are willing to give us those things that we ask for. And we see that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And Lord, as we pray, as we seek your face, as you will often say no to our prayers, answering them according to your will. Lord, give us the strength that we need. Lord, in our weakness, your strength is perfected in us. May we rely on you and not ourselves. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that today, this first day of the year, might be the day where they trust in you as their Lord and Savior, that they would repent of their sins and embrace you, that they might be forgiven and have everlasting life. May we honor you this year. Lord, may you come soon, that we may see you and be with you and worship you forever and a day. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.